Welcome citizens, you're listening to New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creatives. Here, thinkers and doers always have a key to the city. The mayor is in, so office hours start now. Oh, New Amsterdam starts now. What's going on, citizens? Lobo Voice here in the mayor's office in a very great day here in May here in Los Angeles, which is, I guess, the proxy for New Amsterdam. May gray and June gloom are a thing because the sun comes out when it feels like it. It's overcast almost every day. Eh. I'm trying to keep my spirits up, though, and have a little sunshine in my heart. Thanks so much for checking out this podcast and all the other episodes, newamsterdam.com, k-n-w-amsterdam.com. Today, I'm chatting with Mark Jadam. Uh, there's someone I've worked with and collaborated with uh, recently over the past couple months. If you can follow me personally on social under the guise of the Black Baseball Mixtape, which is a, a podcast for fans and lovers of the sport that are people of color. And so I think you'll enjoy this unique take and what it means to be a journalist and the shifting nature of what that journalism is. But before we get to all that, putting it out there, just saying that the Orlando Aces are starting up their Florida Grid League season and New Amsterdam is a sponsor of the team. Can't wait to see the new Amsterdam logo on those jerseys. Florida Grid athletes are going nuts. In the coming weeks, we'll be having some people from the team on the show. So make sure you support them. The Orlando Aces, Florida Grid League. And this episode and other episodes brought to you apart by Seed Geek. When I'm going around town, I'm trying to figure out things to do in my city. I flip out the phone, Seed Geek, and know what's in the zeitgeist you can too use promo code flobito that's f-l-o-b-i-t-o for twenty dollars off your first order over at seat geek i'm talking about concerts sporting events and more seat geek flobito is the promo code now enough me rambling about that stuff mark cheats and i go way back not really actually we've only been hanging out for a couple of months but it feels like i knew this guy for a long time so you're gonna enjoy that chat so let's get to it mark cheats after the jump Welcome back to New Am Sam Raider, the podcast for creative thinkers and doers. It is I, the mayor, Flobo Voice, in the mayor's office, but I'm being joined by someone who's a mayor in their own right, because how I build a community for thinkers and doers, my guest does that for so many different flavors. He has a whole podcast network to talk about it. So please welcome Mark Chief to the show. Mark, let me ask you a question off the rip. How are you living, brother? How are you living? I'm doing good, Flo. I'm doing good. It's the, the weather is changing a little bit here in Virginia, so I'm playing a little bit hurt. I'll sound a little bit more uh, measured than I usually am, but uh, I'm hyped, man. I'm, I'm excited to do this, and thank you for asking. You know, usually I'll start off these interviews being like, you know, take me back from the beginning, but I don't feel like doing that now because I, I want to tell you how we connected first on, on this sure. grand uh, post-pandemic internet web type deal. So I had on the episode of New Amsterdam, and long-term listeners can go back, I had an episode uh, with Coach E, who was a baseball coach based out there in Chicago. And uh, my friend, Jason Storm, who was also on the show as an artist with the high school together, said, hey, you got to get my guy, Chris Way, on the show. And I, once I did both of those, all of my targeted ads were baseball uh, for like a good three weeks. So the algorithm actually brought me to the Black Baseball Mixtape, which is where I first got into what you're about. So let me ask you this. What are you about, sir? <laughs> you had to put all the things you do in real life, on podcasting, in broadcasting to a night and night package. How do you describe right. what you do? Um, I think it boils down 100% to 
to community and community building is is the best way to break it down. I've had platforms and websites now for a little bit over a decade. Most of those websites and platforms is really about bringing people together, bringing community together. And oftentimes I've found introducing black culture and our people in our community into spaces and areas that don't necessarily often welcome black culture and black people in those spaces. So that's when I started, I started what was called the cheats movement blog over a decade ago. And what it did was it built this community of arts, culture, um, music, particularly hip hop. And what we would do is we presented it in a way that was as I think for an individual independent blog, it was presented in a way almost as like this amazing news magazine, this amazing spot of culture. And we kept just building on that and introducing hip hop to places that never received hip hop before and in street art before. And we were kind of making this whole movement in Richmond, Virginia. And so as time has passed and you expand into different, different areas and you meet, meet different people, it really turned into how do we introduce culture to places that may not have had it before and, and capitalize on that. And obviously the the most recent thing that we've been doing a little under a year now is the black baseball mixtape. And that was just a combination of being a baseball fan, looking for content that was geared and dedicated to my hip hop sensibilities my black culture sensibilities and blending in with baseball. And the truth of the matter is there's not a lot of, not a lot of platforms and spaces out there. So that was an opportunity for me to start a website, start an Instagram page, start a YouTube page from my home that really targeted black culture community fans. And it's, I want to be very careful because it's not just black people. It's right. people that are fans of hip hop, people that are fans of our culture, people that respect our culture, that want to learn more about uh, black baseball in general. And we put it in a contemporary form and the rest has been been history. And, and so far it's new. Everything's new, but it, it's it's gone well and it continues kind of the tradition of what I've always been about, which is bringing people together, introducing them to things that and it, introducing them to things and introducing them to spaces that may not have received our culture before. You know, you cover a lot of ground with that question. And what I liked about your brand is that that was something I was thinking about. Uh, full disclosure, New Amsterdam radio is going to be split at one point and, and it was going to have a, a baseball only discussion. But then seeing what your show was about, I was like, oh man, I can imagine to collaborate. And we do. This is like, no, I don't want to ruin, I don't want to foil your plan. We need more. Oh, we oh no, more. We, we, we need more. But what I liked, what I liked about, yours yours the black baseball mixtape platform and, and i do get to contribute so it's a we combine like yeah we're a whole team because you want to uplift each other it, it it doesn't it doesn't try a certain form of the black experience it's kind of like a, a general thing it's very welcome in that way so my question i have for you is that you know you're an educated brother you know we we're going to go through your backstory in the in the intro of the show is there kind of a pressure to present a certain flavor of black culture to people who are not even existing? It doesn't exist. You have to present yourself. You feel people have expectations when they hear the phrase black baseball mixtape. Can you be yourself? How does the monolith look? I have all these questions there, Cheats. 
Yeah. No, I don't feel too much pressure about it, but it's also I'm I'm an adult. Yeah. I'm well into my forties. Uh nah, you know. It, it's it's not well, I was I was having a discussion about this with uh Steve Friend, who's the CEO of Stilo Sports the other day. And it was we were talking about this and we we're like, man, isn't being an adult really cool? Because when you're playing and you're growing up and you're in your formative years, there is a lot of peer pressure. A lot of young black baseball players even act like I think he used the frame living a double life where mm-hmm. he's got his baseball friends over here, which are usually all white. And then he's got his culture, like his real cult, not real, but culture friends, home base friends, which are often uh, immersed in hip hop culture, immersed in black culture and really not checking for baseball. And so we were talking about this and I said, man, isn't being an adult really cool? Because you get to a point in your life where you're like, this is it. This is me. And either you're going to come along with the ride or you're just not. And it's no hard feelings. We don't have to have beef about it. But this is how this is who I am. This is how I'm presenting kind of this 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 thing, this entity. And so to answer your question more directly, I don't feel any pressure about how to present culture. Maybe one, probably because we're not big enough, but two, also it's it's really authentic to who I am and who I and what I enjoy about baseball and what I enjoy about black baseball. And as being a player, I was not a player at a high level. I stopped playing after my senior year of high school. But uh-huh. but I understand the game. I understand what a lot of the players are going through. And and it's very easy for me to present, I think, black baseball and culture in a way that is authentic but also, you know, widely uh, received. And so a last thing I'll say about this is, and I've also, well, like I said, we could talk about this as well. I've had 10 years of writing hip hop, writing street art, writing culture, where I would argue that there's more pressure in that arena Mm -hmm. to present a different level of the black experience. And the cool thing about that was I was also an adult. So yeah. I would have really good friends of mine, people that I've followed their whole careers. And if they presented a product that I personally did not agree with, I would not put it on my platform. I don't care how good of friends we were. So yeah. I started to get that reputation in my community, in my hometown. And they understood that. It's kind of like if you want your song played on the radio, you got to edit it. You can't have a whole bunch of um, inappropriate language in it. Well, if you wanted your video, your song, your interview on my platform, it had to be presented a a certain way. And, you know, after a while, it was just another part of the culture. They had other outlets in our community that if they were looking for a certain element, whether it was drill, whether it was just, um, you know, a, a, I would say, a dangerous violence component or anything like that. They they had other places to go for that. And mm-hmm. so what I was able to present was who I was. Um, and, and it's just kind of carried over in the baseball. It's pretty much carried over to everything I do. 
Yeah, and and so the idea of this creative project, in fact, you talked about this on the podcast you were on fairly recently, back in 2020, the Randy Wilson podcast, about the difficulties of building and maintaining creative teams for projects. Sometimes it'd be a lot more fluid, a lot more flux. It might be a little challenging of getting a whole group of individuals and perspectives to see a singular vision. What's that been like years removed from that discussion, but as you grow your platforms? Lonely? <laughs> And many ways, ways, it's many ways. It's it. it, I understand though now where that no one's going to care about your vision as much as you, Mm -hmm. and that's not to knock anybody else because they have their own path, they have their own vision as well. So it is very difficult to maintain a long stretch of shared vision and and. We, we come from a podcast world, so we've seen Joe Button break up. We've seen uh, just tons of tons of entities that were, you know, that kind of looked like they were forming like Wu-Tang. And then all of a sudden, Wu-Tang goes a, a whole certain direction. Nothing wrong with that. I think things happen for a time and a season. But it is not easy. It is not easy. It's easier if you assert yourself as if it's your vision and you want to assert yourself as the CEO or the founder, do it. I don't care how uh, hesitant you are or how much you feel like you need help. It's a lot easier to say, this is my ship. This is what we're laying out and moving along. The challenge I think people run into is they start, you know, products and entities with friends or collaborators and so forth. And there's, there's these like ill-defined roles and definitions of where, people fit into the organization and then you have a situation where you know rory and maul think they're partners and they're not partners or you know brandon marshall takes his <laughs> you know takes his i am athlete away from you know chaining and and yeah, you know it's a whole thing so yeah i i think it's difficult but i also think it's easier if you kind of take ownership of, of your product and what you're doing so I guess that kind of leads me to the next question about uh, the Family Podcast Network. I mean, it's a curated list of, of shows. I mean, wh- what did that process look like? Was it kind of like a uniform idea and then you look for shows and properties that fit that vision? Or is it kind of like we want to have this platform that had these things to say, let me find content that dovetailed into that? Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit me- premature, to be honest. Um, now that you're look- I'm looking back on it, it was one of those things where we had – a handful of successful shows. I had a successful show. A couple of my buddies had a uh, successful show and we wanted to leverage unity. Um, And that's how the family podcast network came about. I do think it's real difficult starting a podcast network in the sense, especially if your shows aren't independent running shows. And what Mm -hmm. I mean by that is, you know, in order for you to even incentivize a network, you have to offer incentives. Some of those incentives we offer, offer the podcast family, uh, the family podcast network are great incentives. They're really good things. But what I found is the shows that are kind of up and running and almost independently operated, those are the ones that are going to be successful. The ones that are conceptual and you have to form, it takes a lot of time and energy. And obviously, I have a lot more respect now for. People like P. Diddy, somebody that was running Bad Boy and making albums is really hard. Right. And so I think running your own show and making a network, it's really difficult to provide 
the type of support that you need to do that, but it can be done. I do think the um, independent running shows are, are a little bit easier to manage. And to answer your question even more directly, we were, when we came up with the idea of unity and sharing the wealth and building off the momentum of our successful shows, we just wanted content. There is no, there was no real, you know, screening process we, we had a healthcare show on that ran across from a wrestling show that right. ran across from a hip-hop show it really it was just we wanted content that we could leverage for monetization and looking back on it and and, and like i said moving forward we'll probably narrow that focus a little bit more but at the same time i i think it's i think it's a really good experience i think it's something that ultimately down the line We'll, we'll probably continue to grow. Um, it helps if you have shows that have followings and, and support already and backing because at the very least you can leverage those numbers uh, for monetization. So there's yeah. a lot, lot to it, but uh, it's, it's not easy. It's not an easy task. Uh, so you're in uh, Richmond, Virginia now, but you're, yep. are you a Virginian born and raised or did yep, you move out there? Or? Yep. Grew up, so, lived down the street. Okay. So I had a question about this because you were all recently on the uh, 40 Lessons podcast with Todd B. Waldo and you had <laughs> gone so hard for Richmond. I was like, well, as someone from Brooklyn, I mean, as a town, you only hear much about. My bad. I'm sorry. Don't choke me out. But, There's a but, pipeline. There's like a Virginia and New yeah. York pipeline. For cigarettes, maybe. I'm just yeah, well, that too. But there's a, that is true. I got, story, I got stories for days about that. Yeah, for real. But there's a, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of New Yorkers here. Yeah, yeah, but what made you decide to go so hard for your town? Is it because it be, people don't put in the conversation, or is it because no, you love your city that much? Like, what what was your spark being like? No, I'm gonna put the city on my back. I'm gonna create a project. Yeah, no, um, it, it, Richmond is a place where it took a real long time for us to get like self esteem. Honestly, mm -hmm. um, a lot of folks when I was growing up, you know, wanted to get to a level where they could move out, like move out of town. Most people, we always found out they move out, but they always come back. Um, right. But yeah, probably, I don't know. It had to be probably about 15, 10 years ago. We started seeing just a lot more self-esteem and pride uh, being from, from our community and our hometown. And it kind of went in, in conduit with this movement, this growing arts movement, this growing hip hop movement, this growing movement in black culture that we were really proud of. And, and I do like to think that I was on a, a level of ground floor of that. And, and you know, the, especially kind of what was a, a new wave at the time, pre-pandemic, we were on the ground floor of making Richmond a, a place where people wanted to come and wanted to be and wanted to see. And people were pleasantly surprised that you know, all of these one, you know, all these cool things are happening. And we put, we were, we were such a, and I say we, cause there's a, it was a big group of us. It wasn't just the Chiefs movement. It was a whole bunch of other things right. that were happening all at the same time, but we were such a pivotal part of that. And it, it made me so excited and proud to be a part of that. And yeah, it was, we put a lot of Richmond on our back at the time, especially in the hip hop space. And yeah. It was awesome. It, it was a run. It was a run. Like everybody has a run. Right. And we had a run for about four or five years there where it was, it was, it was the thing to place to be the thing to do. And we, we ran with it.
Are they going to name a park after you or something? A library? Like, what's going on? How are they going to pay you back? I doubt, I doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> but it, 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 it's a, it was, it's a cool, for me, mm-hmm. it's, it's a little bit hard to put in perspective sometimes. And, it, and the interesting thing is it's so localized that it's a little weird for people outside of our, our community to fully grasp what we're talking about because it is so localized. So oftentimes when we were building these things and other people in other towns and uh, other communities would get wind of it, they'd be like, man, can we have a cheats movement in, I don't know, Buffalo or Charlottesville or wherever? And I was like, probably not because I'm not going to Buffalo. I'm not going to Charlottesville. I'm not going to, you know, Charleston. I- I'm here. So right. this is where this is kind of where this movement is going to take place. Now, if you find another lack of a better term, if you find another cheats and that person is homegrown and you put them in your in your town and you let them let them rock, they can build whatever their movement's going to be. And so that's that's kind of how we we talk about it. Got to keep the grassroots still with the grass. I get you. No, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to become, become like a you sold out situation. Or you've changed, you know what I mean? Uh, but, You're gonna get that anyway. Yeah, I mean for real. <laughs> you don't have to leave. You don't you have different. To to, yeah, you don't have to leave town to get that. But you get, <laughs> you're gonna get that anyway. I think the the only thing you can do when because exposure is what makes that happen. Mm-hmm. If you get the more exposure you get, whether it's a larger platform or whatever, you can't take everyone with you. You just can't. So exposure gets to the point where people will be like, oh, you know, either whether it's resentful or you feel like you're not moving the same or you're, you know, you, you used to do this now and you're, you know, you, it's, it could be something as, as little as you used to use this venue. There was a small venue in Richmond we used, you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. We outgrew that venue. So then you have to, cause we sold, we sold out too much. So we have to go to a bigger venue. Well, that old venue is going to be like you changed. You're not the same. You're not the. You know, we're not as underground as we used to be because now you're in a 500 seater as opposed to a 150 seater, right? Yeah, yeah. But I'm sitting here looking at it like, oh, this is great because more people have access to what we're building. More people can see what we're doing. But yeah, you're going to get that no matter what. I mean, I can only imagine selling a theater for 500 tickets to see me someday. No, geez, no someday. it's not. Well, we got to be very careful. Right. I like when you say to see me like, no, I, what we did was what we put people on. It yeah. was not a so anything that was run under the umbrella and to this day is still run under the umbrella. It was not because of the podcast. No, it was because of a showcase or a or something we were doing for other people. That's how the whole thing worked. It had very little to do with uh, the individual as much as it had to do with what the brand presented for other folks. You know, you must have mentioned that because like 20, 15, 20 years ago, I was home in New York. I was into Angie Martinez back then, back when she was on Hot 97. And they had uh, some of the guys from Full Force. Uh, the group full force mm. and and they had made a, a pact early in their careers and it said it didn't matter if all of us wrote a song or one of us wrote a song the credit will read full force so everyone mm. ate so that's i like the fact that you keep that community aspect of it that's how you make it uh authentic as you can but but besides all that though man you you do have a day job and you do have I a do. family um yeah, I do. I do. 
the question, the, the stock podcasting question is how do you balance it? But this is New Amsterdam Radio. I got to ask you, what tools do you use to balance all of that? The family time, your day job time, and the Chief Lupin and other projects. I, I think, honestly, you just cut out a lot of other stuff. Um, t- no, seriously. T- time is like, you know, the only asset that you have that you're not going to get back, right? So I there are certain things that I can do and there are certain things that I can't do with, with time. It's a big difference pre pandemic versus post pandemic. And what I mean by that was pre pandemic, especially when I, I, I'll go back to that, like that stretch where we were, like I said, that four or five years where we were on a run, we had a lot of events and a lot of those events were outside. This is all pre pandemic. The home life was not as great as it is now I've got a loving wife and a young kid who who's awesome but it was like oh man you got to go out and do this you got to go out and do that you got to go so you would hear that uh and it would obviously place a a level of strain not significant or anything like that in, in other words we're not, not 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 being a team but it did you know looking at calendars every day was something we would do pre-pandemic. Post-pandemic, I'm not outside at all. It's a big <laughs> difference. It's a big difference today than it was uh, pre-pandemic. So now, like, you know, when, when the world shuts down for a year and a half, two years, when it comes back, it comes back different. I don't hear as much people say, oh, man, you need to do X. I, I hear a lot of, oh, where you been if I'm outside somewhere public? Um, but a lot of what we do now is, is like this, you, you know, you're you're in you're on the West Coast and mm-hmm. I'm at my house and we can time management is a lot easier um, to do things, whether it's, you know, remote via Zoom. It's a lot more acceptable. It's a lot easier for scheduling. There's a whole lot of things that are better in regards to the media space post pandemic and a lot more more acceptable. Work is yeah. work, you know, so you're going to go to your you're going to go do the work things that you need to do um, and, and, and family life. I'm, I am dedicated to being a, a really good husband and father. And I'm out there coaching Little League and doing those things. And you just you just make time for the things that are priority. And a lot of things uh, really do have to 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 be sacrificed or fall down the wayside. I mean, that's that's something I've heard a lot about the time management thing. And with all due respect to uh, the destruction the pandemic caused, a lot of creatives had that moment of shifting from a grinding mindset to a growth mindset. You know, kind of this idea of like, look, I could grind and go to all these venues and do things, but now I'm focused on making progress. And that's kind of cool that you're able to do that in your own way and find that in your own time. I think uh, I always compare it to like uh, a race, you know, like a NASCAR or F1 race. You know, that, that was like a giant like we you know, love like, one yeah love we love it exactly shout out to mercedes man but it doesn't feel like it was like a safety car situation for two or three years and being like hey what's important what isn't important what strategies are you changing tires are you not uh and i think also for me personally i came up better for it because i wasn't a podcaster until i was a comedian saying stay home you're not you're not important you're not essential uh how are you gonna put this voice somewhere so i respect that for sure but uh as we record this it's it's well into 2023, back halves on the horizon. Uh, what do you want to accomplish? What's next for the movement? Uh, the Black Baseball Mixtape is probably my top priority. 
now mm-hmm. and that and just growing that? that and cold it's one it's it's hella fun <laughs> it's like the funnest it's the most fun i've had in a media space and definitely the last uh since pandemic yeah so the last three years it's the absolute most fun and it's something i didn't think was going to to be as fun or a real thing like you start these things with ideas and you don't know how it's going to turn out but it it's for someone that had a platform has a podcast still in richmond that took 10 years to build i feel like i put 10 years of lessons into you know six seven months into the mixtape and i'm better we're better off for it like the 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 opportunities and the output and the construction of the mixtape is literally a lifetime of of work doing other things and and failing and not being as successful so i'm really really excited about where a platform dedicated to black baseball that's presented in a way that hip-hop culture understands to present to people in a way that they, I think they can easily receive it. I'm excited to see where that opportunity can go within the game and within the media space and where we ultimately end up. And so that's, that's exciting for me. I got to say that from my perspective, just seeing the small growth of when I was cognizant of the mixtape is crazy. Now, it is interesting because you have the IG lives and I get to, and I get to hang on like, Oh my gosh, backstage pass. But like but the A show uh, sitting with some of the luminary. Of the sport, <laughs> Look, it's, right? like, it's not an A show. <laughs> no, that's what exactly what it is. You're like, yo, I got an interview with Bob Kendrick. Like, y'all, y'all see y'all Monday. I like, like, yeah. I like that. That's funny. The a, I, we're, we're, we're too deep into the wrestling world to, <laughs> exactly. to understand. Uh, no, I, I get that. And to be able to do that. And, I guess the the sweet spot for me, um, and it's not so much with New Amsterdam and Raider, it's kind of a, a passion project, but I had a late night show during the pandemic on a small scale. It's called After I, Hours. I saw. It was very, oh, yeah? cur- it was very uh, curated. Oh, yeah. Uh, thank, it was thank you. The background, the lighting, you were in a nightclub. <laughs> yeah, it was a nightclub. That's I really love what it, it. Was. That I was, love that it. was my dream was to to bring back late night variety. So, like, mm. not so much late night talk, but Sabado Hagante or Saturday Night's Takeaway. Monday nights, 10 o'clock after Raw, I would, I would do the show. And going back with some of the episodes, seeing it grow, seeing the backgrounds change. And for me, my linchpin moment is when I got Ariana Maddox from Vanderpump Rules the on the street. show. Yeah, but she went to the same college I went to. So to me, she's she's just Ariana from theater class, uh, but she became this big deal. So uh, I guess seeing from my point of view, having someone like a Bob Kendrick on your show, I was like, you go, Cheats, you get that dude. You know, you get more people, uh, get Tony Regans and and, and all. Is there anyone else on that list that you just like, I got to get them now? Yeah, no, I made a list uh, on January 1, 2023. I made a list. I did the Cody Rose. I made a list of all the people I wanted to work with. I took a picture of it. And I posted it on Instagram and on Twitter, and so that I literally did that. You can go back. I used I used to have it pinned to the top. Uh, I think I've unpinned it down, but I have a list. And sometimes I show people that list, especially if I'm close to getting someone that's on that list. I'll show them the list and be like, "Hey, look, you were this is January one. You've been on my list the whole time. I'm not I'm not making this up. I'm not fronting." Um, Shoot so yeah, just in DMs. Yeah, yeah, mostly emails and DMs. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'm, I'm really good at research. <laughs> Respect. I'm, re- I'm really good at research. I'm really good at um, 
figuring out how to get to one thing I do know from podcasting, from working uh, in politics and working in government on my day job, you got to ask the right person. So that's the other thing. You got to you got to ask the right person to come on the show. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, depending on what level you're at and who you're who you're trying to get on the show, the principal itself is not the right person to ask. Because right. the principal, the person you want on the show, will be like, yes, I'd love to do your show. Then they have to go back and say, talk to the scheduler, talk to the comms director, talk to whoever. And all of these people are going to be like, what? No. Like, <laughs> you know, never. What are you doing? Yeah. And so my strategy has always been ask the right person as best you can. And even if that's so one of and here's the look, here's a Here's a gem or a tip or for anybody that's trying to book guests. If you do get to the principal simply because that's the only person that you can DM or that you don't know who their assistants are and so forth, you don't ask the principal, will you come on the show? You ask the principal, who do I need to email to make a proper media request? Who who is the person that handles your schedule? And I'll and I will be lo- I'd love to have you on, but I don't want to bother you. Who do I talk to? And they'll be like, oh, hit so-and-so and so-and-so. In the world of baseball, which is, is where we're operating with a mixtape, oftentimes that person is the agent. Right. So what I'll, you know, I could hit a player up in the DM, and instead of being like, hey, man, I'd love for you to come on my show, I'd be like, hey, man, I love what you're doing. Hey, can you let me know who, who reps you? Who's your agent? I'd love for to make an ask for you to come on the show. And yeah. they'll often be like, oh, yeah, that's the person, right? Doesn't that, always work. It's like a mind game work. too. Is it kind of like a oh he's asking my agent? Nah, it's just me, brother. Does that ever happen with someone? Yeah, all the time. Okay. All the time. They'll be like, yeah. oh, you don't need to go to my agent. Just here, here's here's what we need. But by that point, you're you're where you are. And some people, like I said, uh, especially if they're rep by big firms, uh, you you know, certain times you have to go through that. Sometimes it's is it's we're in a interesting place as well with sport where every major league and minor league team has comm directors. They have, Mm -hmm. it's awesome. So especially if you're trying to get a prospect or somebody that's younger in the game, well, you just email, everybody's available in the front office of either a minor league or major league team. So you'll, you'll ultimately get to the right, you know, director of comms at a double A affiliate and say, Hey, I'd love to have so-and-so on the, on, on our podcast. This is what we do. Um, And usually that, that, that also works out. So agents, comm directors. So again, sometimes the principal is really great and be like, Hey, I want to, I'd love to come on. Let's just make it, make it shake. Um, but there's, there's many aspects. There's a lot of no's. I get a lot of yeses. I'm really pleased about that. I really do. And the mixtape gets a lot of yeses, but there's a lot of no's as well. There's a lot of not right now. Completely understand. Um, you never take anything personal in that sense. (laughs) You, you don't, you can't, because half the time the principal doesn't even know. They don't even know who said yes, who says no. I do say you stay persistent. I've got a couple of really exciting emails that I've gotten responses to, but we haven't got them scheduled. That could go two or three weeks, four weeks without hearing back, so you follow up. To answer your question directly today, Dana Brown from the Houston Astros is someone we're in talks with to come on the show. That'd be really exciting, being that he's the only black general manager in baseball right now. Mm-hmm. That that's a good one. 
Brandon Bellamy is the only black owner of a baseball franchise, and it's an independent baseball club in Gastonia, the, North Carolina. The Honey Badgers? No. The Honey Badgers, yep. Yeah, and yeah, so okay. we're we're in talks with uh with with Mr. Bellamy's team to get him on the show. The other thing that has worked for me in my entire life, whether it was hip hop, whether it was you know culture, community, or so forth. I'm gonna cut you off here. It's the Gastonia Honey Hunters. Double check it. <laughs> honey Hunters. Oh, you yeah. get good call. Good call. Yeah. The product you present is the product that people will see. And they will base their decisions on whether they want to be a part of what you're doing based off of the product you present. Mm -hmm. So the biggest, biggest thing that I can do to convince people to be a part of the mixtape or help the show is just show them the show, show them the Instagram page, show them the Twitter, show them the YouTube. If you see it and you don't want to be a part of it, there is nothing I can do. But if you see it and to our credit, I think most people, when they see it, they're like, oh, wow, this is this is good. This is great. This is dope. I want to be a part of it. If they see an interview with one of their friends, one of their colleagues, one of their coworkers, we get more, I get more DMs and requests for people to be on the show after we post something new than in any other point. Because somebody sees somebody else is on the show. And they're like, oh man, how how can I be on the show? How do I how do I make this happen? Yeah. That is valuable advice, invaluable advice for those of us in the podcast space. Do you have Ray, the podcast for creators? Oh, before I get you out of here, you know how it is. You've been a podcaster host forever. Yeah. Those rapid fire questions. Uh, we're gonna do Love things it. a little, little bit it. different. Uh again, you could always pass, but why would you, Mark? <laughs> I'm an open book. <laughs> All right. Uh number one, on the source and co podcast, you said you were a Knicks fan. What other sports teams are you a fan of? Yeah, Knicks is diehard, diehard since, since the mellow days. Crazy. Orioles and Nationals, more Orioles if my heart, you know, if you had to force me to pick one. But I'm local, so I grew up in Virginia. We Orioles were our local television region network, HTS, back in the day. And so my first major league game was Old Memorial Stadium. I went, you know, and saw Ken Griffey Jr. play in Camden Yards. So the Orioles. I adopted. I didn't have a National League team, so I adopted the Nats when they came from Montreal to Washington, just because they're they're close. My sons have been to more Nationals games than Orioles games. Um, Washington Commanders and that that history because I was local. I'm a I'm a mark for for the so Commanders. Do you like the name Orioles. Commanders, or you're more of a football team fan? What's that? Were you, were you a okay fan of the Commanders it. name, or are you football? No, team I'm all right fan? with it. I'm okay. all right. I got used to football team, and I'm. Yeah. We're big. Uh, my son is really big into football, if you will, the global game. Right. And so once it got to football team, I was like, yeah, it's kind of hot. It reminds me of global football. But but not nah, commanders is fine with me. You know, it. if if they win, this is the thing. Win, winning yep. heals all. If yep. they win, no one's going to care about what the team's name. They're going to be yep. all on the bandwagon if they win. As long yep. as they're tolling in the lower bottom half of wherever they are. That's different. But yeah, my my Knicks fandom is is the highest. Hopefully this year the Orioles do something. Wow. I you didn't know I didn't know that. Uh for, for me, I'm a, I'm a Nets fan, but I will say 
I was a Knicks fan until the Spree Bowl years uh, when they went to the finals and got like destroyed. So I walked away from basketball altogether. Altogether. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. No, it's not. Bas- I think I walked away from basketball. So you know what? I'm going to follow players. But no, I got, that's I, not. You I, had a good team. The Houston Spree Bowl teams? Yeah. I yeah, wish I had those teams. I sold out, though. My friend had floor tickets to Barclays. And I was like, they built they built an arena where I got my mixtapes. Right. <laughs> this is great. All right. I mean, they uh, got to get they got to get fans somehow. Oh yeah, I got you. Yeah. Uh what is your favorite junk food? Oh, sweets. I'm a sweets uh guy and I'm off of it. I've been off of it for ooh, two weeks now, a week and a half, two weeks. Um okay. No, it's not good. It's it's all kinds of <laughs> You get to a certain age and your body tells you you gotta start, you gotta change some things in your diet. Uh and so I'm on this uh I'm on a diet change a lifestyle change, if you will. Uh, and but yeah, I'm a like, there is not a sweet that I, I really didn't like, and so like, I, I've cake, had, candy, all brown? of it, cake, candy, pot. Like, yeah, I was bad off, so I was big into Coke Zeros. I thought I was living a better life with Coke Zeros, but it it was the worst addiction that I've had in a long time, so all of that stuff was was bad, and and hopefully, you know, knock on wood, it really is like a recovering addict for me, it's one day at a time not being able to drink soda and eat sweets because I, yeah. I i really love them and carbs i'm, not, I'm, I'm off carbs yeah. yeah i'm not the biggest uh uh health nut or religious person but i, I do practice lent sometimes and so i usually uh forego uh processed sugars so i'm on week five going like man I, really- yeah, I gotta talk to you because you're the one that, <laughs> hey, you've had a, a you know a real transformation with how right. you've gone about you know eating and exercising and so forth it's one of those things where um when it hits you, man, and you and you're trying to figure out what's going on, mm-hmm. and you're like, bro, like you gotta you gotta change something. So I'm not diabetic. I'm not type two diabetic like yet. Like pre- it runs in my, it runs in my family. It was a pre you know you you're getting that pre diabetic limits. You're getting those high cholesterol limits, and I felt okay. But when you start to not feel okay, and you're going to the doctor, and they're like. Hey, look, this is the best. This is the best thing we can tell you to do. It's not like they pinpointed like this is the problem. Yeah. But they were like, this is the this is this will hopefully give you more energy and and, and, and you know, like you're like we're talking about. We got a lot to do. That's a that's a problem talking about the black community, is that yeah. because traditionally we we earn less than our white counterparts. I'm making a political show now. Um <laughs> because we try to make ends meet, we tend to like equate love with providing. So mom and dad work hard to put food on the table. You honor them by eating it. And that's a very dangerous thing for me going to college, having three buffet meals a day. (laughs) And so that's why I was really heavy there. But yeah, it it is. You do feel it. And sometimes you deny it, but then your body's like, yeah, you're not 21 years old anymore. Yeah, you got it. I mean, it's it's a change. I'm not going to say it's easy, uh, but it is, you know, every day. It's not one of those things for me because everybody will tell you, oh, it'll get easier. It has not gotten easier. I don't like green tea. I don't mm-hmm. like like so it's like there's all of these things that I'm trying to do that I don't enjoy. But uh, but I do know that, you know, hopefully one week comes into one month and those types of things. And you keep going. Uh, I did want to say, too, and I know you have um, uh, I know you, hopefully, you know, you have more rapid fire questions and we'll get into these things. But I did want to say that there's a whole element to those that that cheats movement 10 year days that was very actually political as well um and and hip-hop in many ways hip-hop culture started 
alongside this grassroots political activism counterculture movement that I think in many ways the Cheats movement had a hand in and, yeah. and a spirit in. And so what happened towards the end, we talked about like how it started versus where it was in many ways. And we talk about like teams and, and divisions within a team. We started originally as a pure hip hop music show. It was mm-hmm. a stretch and Bobito version that happened in Richmond, Virginia. And we had a lot of, and that's, Bobita Garcia is somebody that I consider uh, the GOAT and somebody I've had the pleasure of interviewing more than once. Um, But I I have such high regard for what he has been able to create in his life. But I looked at uh, his blueprint and was like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do the Stretch and Bobita show in Richmond, Virginia. And it worked. What I found out was, and and a little bit, this might coincide a lot of what happens with the mixtape. We got to a certain point where we were kind of the, the the thing in Richmond community hip hop, but it also turned into the thing in Richmond community for for black people to be at a space. And by doing that, we we heard I heard more about you know education, more about uh, community safety, more about policing, more about all these things, and. I decided based off of who I was that we have to say more. We have to do more and it can't just be about who dropped the latest album. Right. And so that is a little bit of where, you know, we went from a late night kind of podcast that turned into a radio show. The radio show was much more daytime culture talk. We talked about a lot more different things and it was like this whole thing. And Ultimately, one day, we'll see if this happens because baseball is such a focal point and a lightning rod. But I found myself getting more engagement, more comments, more things happening outside of music. Um, at one point, with the with especially the second half of the Chiefs movement, and it still probably runs that way today. Now, it's, you know, we'll see where the baseball stuff goes. I, I, re- I mean, I really think it's it's a really good focus but ultimately when you get a bunch of our community together they're going to talk about a whole whole bunch of different things as well and yeah. we'll we'll figure out how to how to place those things but yeah there was a there's an element to what we've done that was that was way more just beyond kind of the the norm and the music and i think that's what made it great but also ultimately made it a real challenge to to maintain Oh, absolutely. Uh, my short run in political office. Uh, would definitely you ran for a, office. I read that. Yeah. What a mistake that was. Uh, <laughs> never doing that again. What the hell was I thinking? Uh, but I, I totally, I totally with you. Uh, actually, I was going to mention stretching my video. My next question. Um, in your opinion, who was uh, your mixtape guys growing up? Like, what mixtape did you buy? Were you a K-Slay person? Did you screw? Uh, yeah. Clue? Yeah. Yeah. You know, K-Slay was my guy. Um, Clue was my guy. <laughs> Yeah, I was a little bit stretching Bobito live was, was I was not checking for for that live. Like yeah. when that run was I've gone back, listened to a lot of their tapes, uh understand what the what they meant to the culture, what he meant still does. But by the time I was really, you know, getting mixtapes, it was K Slay and Clue that were at the top. Then then after that it was drama, you know. Okay. 
Yeah, wow. Gangster Grills, right? <laughs> Drama's great. Like Gangster Grills yeah. are great. Like that dead press gangster grill gets still gets heavy rotation in my in my ride all the time. There's everybody talks about the little Wayne stuff, but the the dead pet the dead press gangster grill and the Pharrell gangster grill are yeah. two of the best mixtapes I've ever heard. Period. Uh, the Goody Rob one is kind of a, a nostalgic one for me, but that's just yeah. that's nothing here nor yeah. there. That's uh, good. Um, what is Cheats doing a day off? Do you believe in day offs? Days off? Yeah, no, man. We, I take more days off than most people don't. People are like I run every day. Four no, a.m. wake. No, <laughs> no, I take more days off than people know. I sleep a lot. Um, I enjoy it, but nah, man. I got an eight-year-old son. I got a wonderful wife, and so as much as I'm able to spend doing things with them. Spending spending time with a little man, he's he's real cool, he's real funny, um, and my wife is great. So yeah, I mean it's it's mostly if I'm, it's mostly family time. I got one more for you. Uh, how many hats are in your collection, and where do you keep them? Too many, uh, all over. <laughs> they're too many, and they're all over. What I can't. I have never. That? I have hundred, two hundred. Yeah, I mean, yeah, more. Yeah, it's it's deep. It's deep, and it's gonna get deeper. They just released them. Some new like City Connect stuff, MLB yeah. box that I'm gonna get. I'm a huge minor league guy, so I'm gonna yeah. need a lot of minor league hats, um, Negro <sighs> League hats. I start it started with the Negro Leagues. Okay. It started with the Negro because I used to be a sneaker collector and that got too expensive. Now hats are just as, as expensive <laughs> yeah, as sneakers. I'm say, but, yeah. <laughs> but when it, it when it started for me, it was it was sneakers. It was heavy in a sneakers. And then I kind of converted from hats to sneakers when the hat there was a real hat movement a couple couple years back, really during the pandemic. Hats really took off, side patches and underbrims and all kinds of stuff. So I was like, I'm getting in on that. And man, yeah, it's been it's been a it's been a journey. I love it. I still I wear a lot of hats. I wear a lot of hats. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, it's it's dope, man. This one, the one I have on now, I don't know if you can see it, it's like the the Spike Lee do the right thing. Oh, that is it's, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So here's but I love guy. it. I love it. I thought I had. I thought I, had, I don't think I have like 20, 20? Nah, nah, I was drop in the bucket until I was nah. like, oh, this guy's a hat every single week. Like, yeah, nah, I can't it's, keep it's, up. it's, it's I a problem. I got hats. I got hats and from like Negro League collection, like box sets and stuff that I've never even put on my head. Like, never even open. Is it like shoes where you have to wear them when they fall apart to you, or how does that even work if you don't wear them? Nah, I mean, I, I got them, so I know if I need them. I got him. Um, no, it's not like that. It's not like that. Uh, I got shoes that I don't wear, right? I got shoes yeah. that I don't wear. I got shoes that I'm not really a flipper. I've only sold like two pairs. I've never sold a hat, and I've only sold two pairs of shoes in my life. And I'll and then one was the Travis Scott Lowe's mm. because I got them for $130 and they were going for nearly a thousand. I was like, I gotta sell this. this is ridiculous. This is, it's family neglect if I don't sell those. <laughs> and then I sold the Rockefeller Air Force Ones. Oh snap. Okay. I had I had a I had a icy clean white pair of that I never it was one of those things. I'll tell you this, you'll like this. It's a it's a pair of shoes that I was never gonna put on my feet. Because right. nowhere you could go, if you wore them once, you were done. Right. So it was like, I can, there's never an event in my mind that I was like worthy of me wearing these. So I'm either just going to sit there and look at them or I can sell them and, and, and just be done with me looking at them. So I don't, I don't even know if I made that much of a profit on them. I just sold them because I really was like, there's just no, there's no way, there's no event that I was going to wear them to because they were just that cool to me. 
So when are we going to see the YouTube video of, of the collection, bro? Like, if you guys, if you guys made you say you have hats, I mean, when's it going to be the cribs? Know. Well, one, everything's relative, right? You okay. put everything in perspective. What I mean by that is, especially now, the hat game is so sick. You can go on, like, IG and just see. They do these hat battles. Yeah. And they do all that. Like, people, so they, they got things that I've never even, like, there's no way I could get. I'm not waiting in line for it. There's no assist that's going to get it for you. Like, they got things in some of these collectors that is just beyond the world. I, I like to think of myself as a working man collector. What I mean by that is I'll get a dope hat. I'll wear the hat. Like, I don't have a lot of panic hats. And what I mean by that is a panic hat, as soon as they drop, they're gone. And if you don't have an assist or you don't, you're wait, not waiting in line for five days, you're not going to get it. Yeah. Um, I don't have a lot of panic hats. Uh, I've only I've only used an assist. Uh, I use an assist for this hat because I really wanted. To, uh, I have a love for baseball history and Jackie. Um, but what you know, I, I very rarely. I mean, IGs for assist, which means like you pay double the price just to get somebody to wait in line and ship it to you. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I respect that. I, I here I'm complaining like about a new era drop, but this is like a whole different rabbit hole. No, it's a whole I mean? different. Like yeah. either like these side shops in in New York or LA has got a lot of them. Midwest has got a lot of them where it's like they have these special new the um, new era licenses, so they can kind of create their own hats based off of what new era. Uh, allows them to do and yeah. it's it's insane it's a, i mean i love it I've, I've interviewed a couple guys in the hat world that uh kind of put me on to some game out i always think you tell me if you make this mistake i do make this mistake often okay i will interview a person on our show and then in my mind we're best friends <laughs> yeah no i mean because you get to know them you research them in bro i have so much mind, research about you bro like i get it in my mind we are truly best friends like we are like if i saw you in the street you're gonna like invite me to your house and have dinner yeah. like we would do that to each other but i'm saying like most people you gotta realize are like no they do like 50 interviews they do interviews all the time they could care less about like in my mind i'm best friends with you now like me and bob kendrick are gonna like kick it someday oh yeah, um, yeah you will though <laughs> but it, but 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 that you know that's so I, I had a a bunch of hat guys that I've talked to, and every once in a while I'll text them. That's another that that I'll I know we gotta we're gonna break here or leave here, but that's another piece of advice I'll give uh, folks that are that are cultivating these types of things. Um, in order to to get some things that you may want, you have to be willing to give things as well. True. One of the things I give out. To just about anybody that cares to listen, I'll give you my cell phone in a minute. I haven't changed yeah. my cell phone since I was 16 years old. <laughs> I will give you my cell phone and tell you to text me, call me, whatever. If you yeah. you know what? And you know what usually happens, which is a hilarious thing? Like, most people will be like, oh, no, nah, man, I'll lock you in. Like, I'm locked in. So I may never use it. I, I'm not the type of person that's going to abuse that type of information. So I may never use it, but my cell phone has so many names and contacts and text messages from people that I've only met once, only interviewed through. But if I ever <laughs> needed, if I ever needed to text so and so, I may have, I may have something that people may not have. But I think in order to get that, you often have to be the first one to be like, "Hey, look, bro, like 
lock me in. Here, here's my, here's my thing. That's a tip because a lot of folks, um, and it's a tip that I've seen from people, really, really, uh, people that you don't think are accessible, like inaccessible people. Yeah. Uh, one of the one of the ways that they either seem accessible, even if they're not, one of the ways that inaccessible people seem accessible or seem like normal people is like they'll just be like, Here, here's my here's my phone number. Like I'm a re- like here, you know, here, yeah. here's my regular yeah. guy. Call they may up, never, man. yeah. It's a it's a real it's a pro tip. It's a pro tip. Yeah, it's good to know, man. Like just basically shoot your shot, double down on something you believe in and watch it grow. Uh oh Mark, thanks so much for being on the show, man. I mean the, the nuggets of wisdom are super valuable. Uh if someone's listening right now and they want to connect with you or get your cell phone number, <laughs> how to yeah. go about doing that. Uh, right now, it, like my DMs are not mismanageable. So if you're on Instagram or Twitter, you can just message me, direct message me. Um, that's probably the best way to to hit me up. What's your handle? Oh, what is it? Uh, yeah. Black baseball, black, black baseball mixtape. Right, it's B Ball mixtape on Twitter. Black baseball mixtape on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, yeah. yeah. All right, bam. Yeah, that's it. And, and when you go on tour, uh, call me, man. I'll be an open act. Why not? No, I just, please. I had to. <laughs> I had to figure out. I, I we, we one of these days we'll reverse the uh, reverse the camera because I'm, ladies and gentlemen, for full disclosure, I'm about halfway through graduation day. The memoir <laughs> of the of the mayor. So you can make sure you can buy that oh, wow. anywhere yeah. it's available, and you can read a lot. About uh, about the mayor of New Amsterdam. Just all my L's in one book. It's it's a really it's it's a good read. I enjoy reading. Oh, thank you so much. Appreciate the free plug, man. We should have you on later on uh, when the Black Whistle mixtape has its own media outlet and get a licensing deal with MLB proper. But until that day, this is you, Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creatives. We out. Thanks so much for listening to New Amsterdam Radio. Learn more about the show at newamsterdam.com. That's K-N-E-W-Amsterdam.com. Until next time, this city is yours. <laughs>